You know what I wish? I wish that I had never cut my hair by myself for the first time when I was in ninth grade. That's what I wish. Here's what happened. Okay, so in ninth grade and around that area, I had, I would describe myself as kind of like a punk rock skater kid, okay? So you near that kid, that was me. You were probably chasing me off your lawn. And so I've got hair down to my shoulders and uh, all kinds of chains and studs and leather and black, and I was so cool. And so, um, and, and, and one of my favorite bands was the band Red Hot Chili Peppers. Any fans? Red Hot Chili Peppers, okay, and their bass player, Flea, is one of the most crazy individuals on the planet, and uh, he had this haircut at the time, which basically was like, he had patches of hair in places that were all different colors, and then he was like shaved everywhere else, and I was like, I need that, I need that in my life, and so I decided that at about like 11.30 or 12 o'clock one night on a school night, so I walked into my bathroom, I grabbed these like hair sheer things, and I'm just like, Let's see, where do I start? Oh, here's a good spot. So I have this long hair, and I just began shaving it. And that was just kind of the impulsive craziness that I would do as a teenager. So I'm doing this thing, and around 1230 or 1 o'clock, I'd been working on it for a while, and I'm trying to, like, color it different colors and do that. I'm like, this is not working out. <laughs> and so I go, and I knock on my mom's door. And I, I probably woke her up from a dead sleep, and I love how she answered the door. She was like, what? Oh, my goodness, what did you do? And I was like, I need your help. I, I did this and this, and she was like, and I feel like I learned so much about parenting from my mom. I think she did a really good job, and I'm pretty sure I can summarize what she said. She said something like this. I'm not sure how this is my problem right now. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and she was like, no, look, you know what? Maybe your dad can just take you to the barber after school tomorrow. And I'm just like, oh. So, yes, that was the day I went to school uh, looking like a drunk monkey had cut my hair. Um, <laughs> And then my friends let me know about it. I, I would file that under things I regret <laughs> having done. There's a lot of things that, that I regret in my life. Um, you know, a lot of moments. I remember I got in a fight with a guy one time at school. Uh, I mean, literally like a shoving match. And we were almost going to blows about. I, he, I was upset at him because he told me that Bob Dole would never be the president of the United States of America. And I got a fight with him over that. It turns out he was right. Like, he was totally right. And I should not have pushed that guy for the first time. But, I, you know, it's just like we, we regret things. And there's a list. I, I regret almost every decision that I made on almost every Friday in 1998. Like, I, I have a whole list of them. Like, you probably have things that you regret, things that you wish you hadn't have done. Uh, regrets could be things that I did, things that I didn't do, or maybe things that happened to me. Um, and so this is this website uh, I found. It's called secretregrets.com. And there's a lot of things that people have as regrets that they don't want to talk about. And they don't have, you know, in their uh, agenda to speak with someone else about. So this website allows people to go and post their regrets online uh, publicly for the whole world to see. Um, but <laughs> reading through that, you know, you realize there's a spectrum of regret. Like uh, hashtag Taco Bell would be one. And then on the other end are some like heavy, heavy things. And so, you know, there's things like this, this one person posted, I regret not telling people how he hurt me. Because now if he's hurting other people, it's my fault. And I regret that, right? Another one, this, is, this really hit me hard. I regret marrying my husband. It was only three weeks ago. I should have called it off before I walked down the aisle. I am 23, and I just haven't had the time to learn my, to love myself yet. And you read things like this, and it's sad. And, and I wrestled with it as I looked at it this week, because here's the thing that I think is true. I think that we all have regrets that we kind of tuck away inside, and we don't know how to 
manage them, and, and we try to be stoic and say things like, I don't regret anything. Live, live life with no regrets, whatever. I wouldn't be the person I am today if it hadn't been for everything that happened to me. And I think there's truth in that, but I think there's also, we, if we're honest, we'd be like, man, there's some trouble I could have saved myself, or there's some pain that I could have avoided, or there's some changes that could have been made. So there's this book uh, that was kind of the inspiration for this teaching series uh, called Starting Over. Uh, it's by a, a couple of brothers named Dave and John Ferguson, um, and I meant to have a picture of it. It looks, it looks a lot like this graphic we have here. It was the uh, kind of the inspiration for this teaching series that we're getting into today, uh, and it's a pretty good book. I would recommend it. It's available on Amazon for a digital download, or you can buy it there. You can also get it at Christian bookstores. Uh, these are some guys that kind of looked at the concept of regrets and asked the question, is there life beyond regrets? Because as we come to, together kind of around this collective community table today, we realize that we kind of face this same question, what else is there? Like, what could I do with the things that I kind of carry around as baggage or background? What could I do? And their assertion is there is life beyond regrets, and it's through Jesus. It's actually what Jesus is all about. Uh, as you look through their book, they, class, they classify three different categories of regrets. I want to kind of tell you what they are because they'll kind of build on more stuff that we're going to be getting into, both when we're diving into the Bible in just a minute and as we look for the next few weeks at uh, living life beyond regrets. But they categorize it three ways. The first category of regrets is what they call regrets of action. Action. Uh, these are things that I do that I wish I hadn't done, right? I just shouldn't have done that, right? I shouldn't have done that. Things I do that I wish I hadn't done. This is a, like a lie that you told or maybe a friendship that you ruined because of something you said or a, a, just an action. Okay, so these are regrets of action. The sad thing about regrets of action is that the pain that causes, that happens afterwards could have been completely avoided because you did it, right? And you've been there. The second category is the opposite. They call it regret of inaction. A regret of inaction, these are things you wish you, uh, you, wish you would have done, but you didn't. I didn't act. I really should have been bold enough to ask that person out on a date, <laughs> but I didn't. Oh, man, I wonder what they're doing now, right? And you've had these, these thoughts, regrets of inaction. I wish I would have gone to school to done something different. I hate my job, right? If I only had done something, these are regrets of inaction, um, and you regret it. In their book, the Fergusons kind of assert that in the short term, people tend to regret actions, but over the long term, you tend to regret inaction. It's insightful. They've got a third category of regret that they call regrets of reaction. Regrets of reaction are this. This is not something I did or something that I didn't do, but this is something that just happened. And I, my only reaction is that I can just have regret. Uh, this is a, a bad car accident, maybe, that you know, caused a bad injury or something. This is someone passing away in your life, and it just really impacts you. And you, This is something that you had no control over. These are things uh, like betrayal or rejection. Like, I didn't, I didn't bring this on myself. There's nothing I could have done to change it. But the regret is still there because we begin to spin this question of our, in our head, like, what if? What if I had done something? What if I had called them sooner? What if I had taken the right instead of the left, right? And so you've got these, this regret of reaction. Those are three categories. And so as we kind of jump into our teaching time today, I just want to kind of lay this question in front of all of us. What did you bring with you today? What regrets? Was it action? Was it inaction? Was it things that happened to you? Reaction that you just have no control over? What is it? And I want us to know that there is hope beyond regret. There is life beyond regret. And it's much closer than you might think. 
Uh, so today we're starting this teaching series. It'll be five weeks long. It's called, it's called Starting Over, and it's all about life beyond regret. And each week we'll be unpacking a different element of learning how to live that life beyond regret. How do I find new footing? How do I, you're going to put the past behind me. Like, how do I move forward? And we'll be talking about those, looking at different uh, stories in the Bible, who, people who actually managed some of this stuff and came through it on the other side. We can start over. We can live life beyond regret. So if you've got a Bible today, I'd love you to grab it and pull it out. Uh, we love to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. If you don't have one with you today, totally cool. Uh, one, I recommend that you take a look on your phone. There's, lots, there's a free Bible app. Just look up Bible in your app store. Uh, and the Version Bible is a great one. I'll be uh, reading from the New International Version today, and I, I generally teach from that. Also, we have some Bibles scattered underneath some of the seats you're welcome to use and keep if you need a Bible. We want everyone to have a good readable version of the Bible. So hang on to that. We're going to be in two different books of the Bible today, the book of Luke and the book of John, okay? And we're going to start, if you want to go and flip over there, Luke chapter 22. Both Luke and John are really cool uh, books because they're both uh, biographies of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament of the Bible, biographies of the life of Jesus. What did he teach? What did he do? And what did he tell us to do? And we're going to be specifically zooming into the life of a person that Jesus was very close to named Peter, okay? So that's some setup. Let me tell you about Peter. Uh, the Apostle Peter, as most people call him today, was one of Jesus' closest friends while, he, while he was, uh, Jesus was living on earth. Uh, after his time with Jesus, Peter kind of became this prolific character in history. I mean, he is a major, major player in world history because of just the impact he had on the world. After his time for Jesus, this is some things that, that Peter was responsible for. Uh, he preached the first ever sermon at the first ever church service. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2. And on that day, over 3,000 people decided to become Christians and got baptized. That's pretty impressive. Like, add that to your resume. Uh, after that, he then becomes the leader, the pastor of the first ever church in Jerusalem. That's a pretty big deal. After that, he actually lives on today through two books in our New Testament of our Bible called First and Second Peter, named after him, letters that he wrote, teachings about the way we should live. So Peter has this amazing, impressive resume, right? And so if you look at a guy like Peter, you're like, I should probably like, learn something from that guy, emulate him a little bit. But that was later. Before Jesus, Peter was somebody else. First of all, kind of economically, he was a fisherman. That's what he did for a living. And uh, wasn't very prosperous, didn't have a lot of status in society. Uh, he probably could have lived and died, and the world would have never known if it hadn't been for Jesus, uh, him and all of his buddies. Because it was just kind of, you know, just a, a common laborer and didn't really have a lot he, compared to society that, you know, maybe he was contributing. Uh, he also, we know from just following Jesus and his story, this dude had like an attitude problem. I mean, he was short-tempered, and he would, he's a dude, he cut off some guy's ear just because he was a little bit, a little bit jumpy. Okay, so this is Peter. Uh, Peter, man, he gets in arguments with Jesus. It's not a good idea because he was just so strong-willed. And so we find out that Peter, before Jesus kind of really shifts his mind and changes his life, this is who he is. What I think I could say clearly about Peter is Peter is someone who had regrets. He's someone who's like, man, there's some stuff I did that I wish I hadn't done, some stuff that I didn't do that I probably should have done, and I just had life full of regrets. And so uh, we're going to be jumping right into Luke chapter 22. So let me give you the context and we're going to jump right in. We're going to look at two stories, okay? One is a story of Peter's life that happens before uh, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, which is what Easter is all about. And then another story is going to be a, a bookend of that story, a big story that happens after the resurrection of Jesus, okay? Uh, and so that's where we are. Jesus is in an upper room, kind of an upstairs room. He's having his last dinner with some of his closest friends, uh, and it's kind of this moment where he's telling them, I'm about to give my life for the world. I've been telling you about this for a long time, and it's happening right now. And then he makes this statement, Jesus does. Jesus says, and one of you is going to betray me tonight. 
Now, Peter hears Jesus say, one of us is going to betray you. And he looks around. He's like, what? Who's going to betray Jesus? Who, who is it? Who is it? Speak up. And he says, surely not I, Lord. It's not going to be me. It might be one of these schmucks, but it's not going to be me. Jesus looks at Peter, and he says in verse 31, Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31, also Peter sometimes is called Simon, so here Luke refers to him as Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, talking to Peter, that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned back, that you'll strengthen your brothers. In other words, something kind of crazy and deep. I'm not even going to spend much time in this, but kind of come in this little compartment with me. Jesus has been communicating somehow with Satan about the disciples. And Jesus is aware, and I mean, you're looking at the same words that I am, and I don't even begin to understand how like all the spiritual realm works. But what I, what I can see from this context is that Jesus understands, he says they're all going to be kind of sifted like wheat. You know, the process of getting, you know, the, the actual wheat kernels out of the stalks of grain. And so it's a process, you know, you're kind of getting the good stuff out, leaving the bad stuff behind. There's a testing process that's going to happen. And Jesus is aware that this is going to happen. And he says, Peter, I want you to know something specific. I have been praying for you because I know that you're going to be tempted tonight. And I pray that after you are tempted and after you do turn your back on me, that you will come back and that you will strengthen your brothers. Peter hears this, and he says in verse 33, he says, Lord, he gives an argument with Jesus right here. Small, but it's an argument. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison, even to death. So you can see where Peter's heart is, but verse 34, Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Obviously, Jesus knows Peter's desire to do right, but he also knows that he's going to be weak. He's going to make a decision that he's going to regret probably for the rest of his life. And he just says, look, I'm praying for you. So a few hours later, uh, it, it all goes down, okay? G- Judas is the one who actually betrays Jesus outright, and he goes and he sells Jesus out for a bag of money, and some soldiers come and they arrest Jesus and they take him off, and as they're taking him off, all the other disciples, they run away. Like, they're terrified, like, oh my goodness, we're in trouble. The authorities are here, uh, these guys are, are making all kinds of claims that Jesus has done illegal things, and they're like, well no, well, no, that's not true, but they've got swords, so they scatter, all but Peter, and it says, look in verse 54, Okay, so it's talking about the soldiers capturing Jesus. It says, then seizing him, talking about Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. So he's outside the high priest's house. Jesus is inside, kind of going through a shabby trial. You can read about in some other places in the Gospels. But he's going through that trial, and Jesus is kind of sitting there with him. And a servant girl looks up at Peter. She looks closely at him and said, this man was with him, with Jesus. But, verse 57, Peter denied it. He says, woman, I don't know him. Have you ever been caught up in a moment, and then you just, something just kind of falls out of your mouth? You say something, and you're like, oh, we get back in. I wish I would have said that. I wonder if Peter had that moment. I don't know Jesus. I, oops. Denial number one is down. Jesus told him it was going to happen, and here it goes, happening. He's scared in the moment. This girl looks up at him and says, hey, this is this big this hubbub going on about this Jesus guy. I recognize him. He was one of his followers. Not me. It wasn't me. 
denial number one. Look at verse 58. It's kind of a short little story, so it kind of goes fast. Verse 58. A little later, someone saw him. Hey, you're also one of them, he says. Here's what I know about lies, because I have been guilty of lies. The more lies you tell, the easier they are to tell, right? So the first lie kind of, if, if, if Peter was walking into the house of regrets, that first one was kind of stepping up onto the, the porch a little bit. But now that I'm here, it's like, well, it's not that bad. This one was with Jesus. And Peter says, man, I am not. I am not the person you think I am. Denial number two. He's beginning to fully check into the house of regrets. And then verse 59. About an hour later... Another person asserted, surely this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. It's a short little story, but man, talk about a story that's packed with regret. Suddenly, Jesus' words must have flown through Peter's mind when he said, I mean, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it. And so then it says in verse 61 that basically Peter left the courtyard. It says he wept bitterly. Man, he was just torn up inside. Have you been there? Have you made mistakes and have you wished that you hadn't? Peter, Lee, Peter instantly feels the regret of what he'd done. He can't believe what he's just done. And after everything Jesus did for him, after all the amazing things Jesus had shown them and taught them and said to them and prepared for them, in his greatest hour of need, Peter, his good friend, turns his back on Jesus. Now, what happens next is that Jesus goes through these trials, and he actually goes through several, and they're kind of shady. I mean, if you look at them according to due process of the time, like they were breaking all the rules. Jesus is accused of all these heinous things that he had never done, including inciting riot among uh, the Jews. Uh, they accuse him of blasphemy, which is claiming to be God, which is only illegal if it's not true. <laughs> and they're saying, are you saying that you're God? He was like, well, yeah. In fact, his answer was, I am which in Hebrew is God's name, I am. And so it was a big deal. The, the Jewish leadership is like, okay, this guy's claiming to be God. He's got to go. And they do through this whole trial, and they just drag him eventually to crucifixion. And that's a story that's sadly fairly commonplace. I think if you've been in church long, you're like, yeah, Jesus was crucified. He died in the grave for three days, and he rose from dead. Yay. And we sing a song about it. But think about, like, this is your relative, this is your friend, this is your brother, this is your neighbor, okay? And you, you find out this person's been wrongly accused of something, dragged through a bogus trial, and then sentenced to execution. All of Jesus' friends are just, uh, the weeping that Peter does, man, that's, that's weeping of regret. Everyone else is like, why? This is unfair, this is unjust. He eventually is crucified. Now, it is Easter, okay? Today is Easter, so spoiler alert, uh, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. In fact, the coolest thing happens. Some ladies go up to uh, do some kind of customary burial preparation stuff that anybody would have had done to them after they had died and been laid to rest for a little while. They go up to this grave, and they, and they go to, to prepare the body and to do some things that they typically would do. And when they get there, the grave is empty. It's, nothing's in there. There's no dead body. There's no Jesus. It's so confusing. The ladies are like... I, I've been to funerals before, and this is not normally how it plays out. Normally, the, the body stays in the grave where you put it. And it says that the grave clothes, the things he was wrapped in, were actually off of him. And they were kind of folded sitting there. This is strange. Who unwrapped the dead body and was kind enough to do the laundry and put it back? Like, that's, that's weird. 
He finds the, they find the stone that had been covering the grave was rolled away. The grave was empty. And that's not all they found. They found an angel. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Listen, Jesus is alive. Just like he told you he would be. He rose from the dead. It changes everything for these ladies. The angel tells them, go and tell the disciples that this is going on. Now, granted, it's Easter Sunday, and you would think, like, the preacher should totally just preach about the resurrection, and that's all. We're actually going to move past that because that's such an amazing thing. It's not just that the body raised from the dead, because I want you to see what happens in our life because of that. And we're going to use Peter as the example. There are bookends to this story. The first was the denial. The regret. He ran, he left the courtyard, he wept bitterly. It's a little while later now. Jesus is raised from the dead. Word has spread. He's appeared to some people. And it's great news. But it must have been really hard for Peter to hear. Yeah, he was excited. But he's like, man, the last thing I ever did for Jesus was deny that I loved him. It's a big deal. And I wonder if he, he dreaded the moment that he might have to look him in the eyes and have a conversation. And so the disciples have gone back to their regular vocation. They're fishing again, and, and they're out there kind of catching some fish. And John, one of the disciples, looks up from the boat, and he sees there's a figure walking on the beach. And he sees this figure, and he's like, man, I would recognize that guy anywhere. The hair, the body, he probably had the perfectly blue sash like we see on all the pictures for Easter, right? Like, that's him, that's Jesus, and all the guys are wigging out. They're like, what? Yeah, Jesus is here. Hey, come fish with us, man. And J Peter is so excited because he just wants to go talk to Jesus. I don't know what was, I mean, maybe just he was excited to see him. Maybe he really just wanted to apologize for what happened. I don't know. It doesn't say. It says Peter jumped out of the boat with all of his, like, his clothes on, basically, and swims in and gets to Jesus. And he's like, Jesus, Jesus, I'm so glad you're here, man. And Jesus goes, oh, I love Jesus. This is to prove to me that Jesus is a manly man. Jesus goes, wait. We need to make breakfast first. <laughs> so Jesus, like, gets some fish, and they cook fish, and they're eating. He's like, let's not get all touchy-feely yet. we got to fill our bellies. So then they eat, and you ever have one of those meals where, like, something needed to be said? Like, there was a conversation that needed to be had, and you, no one really knows how to bring it up. And instead of there being, like, lively conversation, really, you just hear the kind of the fork clinking on the plate. Like, how's the weather? Yeah. But Jesus breaks the silence, and he, and he breaks it in such a way. Ask Peter a question that must have just ripped Peter's heart out. Um, but he knew it was coming. So it's kind of one of those things like rip it off like a Band-Aid. Jesus does that for Peter. Thanks, Jesus. In verse 15. Okay, we're moving to the book of John, by the way, now. I told you I'd be in Luke. Now we're in John chapter 21. John chapter 21. This is verse 15. So when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I imagine he was pointing to the other disciples. Do, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. I imagine, because it's a real conversation that Jesus paused, maybe he takes another bite of fish or something, I don't know, nods his head. He raises his eyes, and he looks back at Peter, and then he replies, okay. Jesus said, feed my lambs. I imagine there was another pregnant pause here. Apparently, Peter doesn't say anything. I think if Peter had said anything, it would have been written down. I just imagine he was just like, Okay, uh, maybe he was thinking, what is he talking about? I mean, feed my lamb. Jesus, you're, you're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. We don't have any sheep. Like, I don't know if he thought that. I don't think he was confused at all, actually, uh, because Jesus had many times referred to the people he loved as sheep and to himself as a shepherd. Okay, so this wouldn't have been new vocabulary for Peter. So they sit and they wait. And then in verse 16, Jesus asks again, Simon, son of John, 
do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus says, well, take care of my sheep. Again with the sheep. Jesus is driving home a point here, and so I want to keep reading because it just keeps right ahead, verse 17. The third time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And this time it says that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for a third time, do you love me? And so Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You just rose from the dead. <laughs> you know that I love you. And so once again, Jesus says, then feed my sheep. So not once, not twice, but three times Jesus asked this question, do you love me? And then not once, but three times Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Three questions. And I wonder how long it took for Peter to catch on that it was three questions. If you've ever heard this story taught before, the teacher probably said, and Jesus asked him this three times because Peter had denied him three times. Maybe Jesus did. I wonder how long it took for Peter to realize that. You know, as he sat there, it's like, oh, man. And he has this regret and he has this the pain. Three questions. I just wonder, maybe there's more to it than that, though, the three thing. Maybe, and I think, Jesus is doing something here to help Peter start over. Look, it doesn't matter how many times you messed up, Peter. I'll give you that many chances to start over. And I've got something bigger for you than an opportunity to say you're sorry. At first, Jesus confirms their relationship. Do you love me? If you ask someone, do they love you, you're implying something else. Do you realize that? What are you implying? I love you. Do you love me? Because I love you. It's kind of, you'd be like a jerk to, to do otherwise. Do you love me? I don't like you very much. It's a... Jesus, he, he, he confirms his relationship. Do you love me? Because that's the kind of relationship I want to have. But then he does another thing. It, it, it may be the most spectacular moment in the entire Bible. I mean, there's some big things. Dude gets swallowed by a fish and spit up on the shore of Jonah. That's a pretty big deal. Like Jesus raises from the dead. That's pretty amazing. There's some really like crazy big stories. But I think this might be one of the most profound and spectacular moments for us in the Bible, and this is why. Because here's Peter, a real living, breathing person, a real person with real problems, encountering the real God. And he's sitting there in a real place, and he's sitting across the fire from Jesus. And here in this moment, it's so spectacular because we get to see Jesus doing what he does for each one of us face-to-face -face with an individual. He's looking eye-to-eye -eye with a man. A man who has messed up, a man who has turned his back on God, and he gets to offer him something. And this is what he says. Not only do you love me, but he says, feed my sheep. For Peter, and we find this out later as you keep reading. For Peter, this is what Jesus is saying. I'm not done with you yet. I got a purpose for your life, man. Will you please care for the people that I love? Will you go into the world and share people the love that I have, not just for them, but what I've done for you? Peter, do you love me? Good, because I've got a purpose for you. I've got a plan for you beyond the mistakes, beyond the regret, beyond the mess-ups. I've got a plan for you. You know, Jesus refers to himself in John chapter 10 as the good shepherd. And he's inviting Peter to come alongside him and carry out his mission to the world by giving Peter a job and saying, Peter, you still have purpose you are not disqualified. I am not done with you. I need you and I want you to serve me. And here it is. This is what I want us to understand today. What Jesus did for Peter, man, he wants to do for you. He wants to do for you no matter what your regret is. He wants you to have life beyond that regret. 
And that's what Easter is about. Jesus rose from the grave so that he could raise you from death, spiritual death. He says, listen, you might have messed up, you might have alienated yourself from me, but I'm giving you a second chance, a redo, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a fifth chance. I'm 35 years old. I've been a Christian since I was nine years old, and I can't tell you how many times God has given me new chances. And I get to stand here on stage and say, man, I am broken, and I have regrets, but God's not done with me yet, and he's not done with you yet. Maybe this is the day for you where you can sit across the fire from Jesus. And maybe you're like, man, dude, I have screwed up. I've turned my back on God. I've made mistakes, regrets of action, regrets of inaction, maybe some regrets of reaction that because something happened, I just was like, Psh, I'm going to give God the finger and walk away. But he's looking across the fire at you and he's saying, feed my sheep. I've got a job for you. I've got a purpose for your life. I love you, and I can give you life beyond those regrets. We see it play out in Peter's life. I told you he spoke the first ever uh, sermon at the first ever church service, and you see it in Acts chapter 2. I want to I show you like, the conclusion of his sermon, because after he preached and he told people who Jesus was and what they could do, uh, they say this. They say, well, what should we do then? <laughs> like, what should we do? Like, how do we get back good with God? Peter's like, I'm glad you asked. I've got an answer for that. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says this. He tells them, repent. Let me pause there. Like sometimes we run past the word repent. Repent is turning your mind and your heart away from the sin and the like leaving God direction that you were following. And you turn your mind around and you say, I'm going to follow God now. He says, repent. Turn your back on sinful stuff and turn your face to me. Repent. And then he says, be baptized. Baptism is a, it, it's a physical ceremony that we go through with our body. I often compare it to a marriage ceremony. Two people love each other the day before they get married, but they go and they stand in front of a group of people and they exchange rings and they exchange vows because we as humans, we need something physical to look back on and say, yeah, that was the day. That was the day. So he says, be baptized. Baptism is the act of having your body pushed underwater. And Romans chapter 6 says that it symbolizes death. We're being buried. He says, we're leaving our old stuff behind. And we raise, and Romans chapter 6 says, we walk in newness of life. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why the name of Jesus Christ? Because he's the dude who rose from the dead. He's the guy who defeated death. Not in the name of a church that you might have been a part of. Not in the name of my parents want me to do it. Not in the name of I'm feeling guilty because I really feel like if I don't do this, my wife's not going to get off my back. But in the name of Jesus because Jesus brings a forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is God's presence in your life to guide you. How do you have life beyond regrets? Well, God's there. He's your tour guide. His spirit comes and works among you and shows you. In verse 39, I love this, verse 39. It says, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. God can give you a new start. He can let you start over. I can't wait to unpack the rest of this series with you. There's so much we can learn. But as we close up today, here's the, here's the thing I want to I lay on. I, I have been praying, actively praying for a couple of weeks for this day because I believe that there is someone, if not many people in this room, who just need to start over. And that you're in a place right now where you got, I just got to, I got to start over. Like maybe you've already made the decision to be a Christian and you're like, I just need to, but I just need to get refocused. Today is that day. Don't wait till next Easter to come back to church. Stick around today. 
and say, okay, God, I'll come back next week. So here's my challenge for you. Come back one more week. Just come back one more week. You might be in a place where you showed up for the very first time. You're like, starting over sounds great. I don't know if I believe Christianity. I don't know if I can trust the Bible. I don't know about all that. I want to let you know we have a class that we offer called Venture Basics. And it's four weeks long. And it starts in two weeks on April 30th. And it's a four-week class that answers the questions, who is God? Who is uh, Jesus? Is the Bible reliable? And what does it mean to be a Christian? No matter where you are in your faith walk, you uh, you can take that class and dramatically grow from it. But maybe you've got a lot of questions. Don't just leave it hanging. If, if God came and gave his life and rose from the dead, if that happened, if there's a possibility that happened, isn't it worth checking into? I would encourage you to maybe think about that. And, and another group that I'll just speak to today, maybe today's your day where you need for the first time to say, I need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins so that I can have the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to tell you, the ocean is great. I was there yesterday. And I believe that today could be a day where a group of us could head over there and have a baptism, or two or three. We had four a couple of Easter's ago. Today could be your day to sit across the fire from Jesus and say, man, I'm sorry. And he could say, I love you. I love you. I love you. You're not disqualified. I've got purpose for your life. Let's start over. Let me pray for us today. God, you're good. I just praise you for that goodness, and I just ask that as we move forward in our time together today that this is not just a holiday ceremony um, that it's a spiritual revival for us and I just praise you for people that uh, who find the fresh start through you and I praise you for those who right now are just still looking um, because you haven't given up on them yet and I just ask you that today can be a fresh start for all of us no matter where we sit you are good I love you and I pray in Jesus name amen